Hey guys, it's such a pleasure to be up here and to speak to you today. Um, right now we're in the season of Advent, which is one of my favorite times. My friends know that I talk about Advent a lot. We've been preparing for Advent for a while. It's kind of meta-Advent, waiting for the waiting to start. Um, so I'm really excited. We've uh, branded the series When the Lights Fade and the Music Plays, because I think that captures the essence of what this season is supposed to feel like. You've gotten to a concert and um, the house lights have gone down, side conversations have stopped, and in the darkness and the silence, everyone together is focused on just one thing, the stage, and they're waiting for the thing that's that's so exciting to happen. And maybe it hasn't happened just yet, but it's like starting to happen and you can kind of get on board with this excitement and this tension. Um, in keeping with this motif, we've picked scriptures for our, scene, for our series from the songs that show up in Luke's narrative, in Luke's gospel. And it's hilarious because it just makes sense to me. No wonder all of this stuff is turned into children's pageants and musicals and stuff like that. It reads like this huge musical. Every few verses, someone's bursting into song. And no one thinks it's weird. It's like they all understand that that's the appropriate response when God breaks in and radically changes your life, that all you've got left is music to sing in praise. So one of my favorite but lesser known characters in the story is Zechariah. He's the father of John the Baptist, who's Jesus' cousin. He's the prophet, living in the wilderness, crazy beard, prepare the way of the Lord, that guy. Um, when John is born after a miraculous and angel-announced pregnancy, just like Jesus, Zechariah witnesses the promise of God literally born into his life, like the promise of God embodied in this child that he has. Um, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he sings this beautiful song over his newborn son about God's faithfulness to keep promises and about God's peace. The beauty and wonder of God's promise has invaded his soul, and what comes out is music. Um, and I think that's so in keeping with the season of Advent and with the kind of sense that we want to help you guys enter into as we're celebrating together. This song, Zechariah's song, that's our text for today, is a song that praises the God who is, who has been, and who always will be working among God's people. The song highlights that God is faithful to keep promises, that God's way is always rescue and restoration, and that God's path is peace. Um, this song at this moment is intensely personal and powerful for me because I'm finding my story in Zechariah's story. Uh, I mean, today I'm experiencing the fulfillment of God's promise in, in my life. That's right, pancakes. The best, right? <laughs> Thanks, Cafe, for providing those for me because it's like the ministry of God's promise in my life right now. <laughs> Just kidding. It's actually getting to wear this rock star microphone, a little bit of NSYNC action going on. <laughs> Just kidding, that's also not it. I mean, like, just being up here and being able to talk to you today, seriously, that's serious face. <laughs> I'm, like, I've been working through this past year um, what we talk about in church world as a calling into vocational ministry. Um, I guess once before I thought about going to seminary and stuff, but I was never serious about it. But this past year, things got serious. First, when um, my friend Jeff, who's a pastor, asked me to preach at his church earlier this spring, and then Jay asking me to co-teach summer study. And it was in the middle of uh, teaching summer study, um, all those sessions at coffee shops with Jay, that I was like stoked to pour my life energy into that project, more than anything else I was working on, um, that I realized that 
I'm finding myself living into who God has made me to be when I'm writing and, um, and preaching for this church community who I love so much. So that, like, working with this kind of stuff is where I'm experiencing Jesus' promise, where he says, I uh, came that you may have life and have it to the full. So I'm so grateful to be here, to be surprisingly entrusted with like, this piece of God's story and our chance to talk today. Um, so thanks for that. <laughs> Thank you. Whoa, I feel so appreciated. <laughs> But before we get back into the text of Zechariah's song, I want to fill you in on the backstory a little bit. Uh, this is all in Luke chapter 1, so if you would like to follow along in your Bibles, um, we'll be bouncing around starting in verse 5. That's where you first meet Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah is a Jewish priest, and his wife also is from a priestly family. She's descended from Aaron, who's Moses' brother, who was the first priest. So basically, their family is super-duper priestly. In addition to being upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly, their lineage also ensures that their sons can be priests too, which is important to sort of carry on the family line and the family tradition. Except they don't have sons. They don't have kids at all, which is a bummer, because Elizabeth is barren and they're both well along in years. So you get the sense that it's past their time that they've missed it, that after all of these good things that they've done in keeping the Lord's commandments and, um, and where they come from, that it means nothing because they don't have children. Um, now, those in Luke's audience who were familiar with the old stories are already making connections between the beginning of this story and the beginning of other stories from the Hebrew scriptures um, that have barren women like Sarah and Hannah and others. Abraham's wife Sarah was barren, but then Isaac was born, and with him a promise of innumerable, innumerable like more than the stars, descendants, who would not only be blessed, but then would be a blessing to the world. Hannah pleaded with God for years for a child, and when God finally heard her prayer and gave her a, a son, who we know as the prophet Samuel, she promised to give him to God. So her, her kid's like six or seven, and she walks him into the temple and says, here, God, I give back the thing that you've given to me. And then he turns into a prophet who is so influential in the story of Israel. So the listeners here are making the connections that they know they know how this goes that from the wombs the world has called barren cursed or forgotten god brings forth life to save and to heal and to usher in the kingdom of god that whenever a story starts with a good couple who's barren the expectation is that god is going to break in god's going to intervene and then the young child is going to be crucial in the larger story of god's promise Um, so enter zechariah and elizabeth we know how this is going to go down Zechariah's job as a priest is to go into the temple and present the prayers of the people before the Lord. This is represented by the burning of incense. This is in um, verse 7. So as it's his time to do this, he goes in with the community praying behind him. And uh, the text gives us this sense that it's a sort of divine appointment, that like the stars are aligning, stuff's coming together, and something big is going to happen. Something's going to go down. Um, And what do you know? As he's going about his work, an angel interrupts him, and he's scared out of his mind because, of course. Listen to what the angel says, though. This is in uh, Luke 1, chapter 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. 
He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Whoa, super weighty words, really heavy. They sound a lot like words from the prophet Malachi. This is the last prophet that uh, Israel's had, and it's been like 400 years since they've had a direct message from God, and they've, been, and they've heard from God in a prophet in this way. But listen to what Malachi says. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Zechariah is a priest. He has the Torah memorized. He knows these passages. He knows what the angel is saying and what these mean. The angel is saying, the time is here. The Messiah is finally coming. And you, Zechariah, are going to have a son who's going to be a part of the story. Your son gets to bring the message. Your son gets to be the way preparer. I I just made that up. That's not a thing. (laughs) But Zechariah is like, how can I be sure? I'm an old man and my wife's well along in years. Zechariah thinks he knows the end of his own story. Um, He's convinced that he knows how his story is going to go. So he responds with skepticism to the very different story that's being offered by the angel. Basically, you don't know me, you don't know my life, the most sassy. (laughs) And I totally get this response because it's what I would do. I mean, if you came up to me after church and said, Alicia good news. I know you're like a huge hardcore fan. I know you're super serious about it. And this is it. This year, the Chargers are going to win the Super Bowl. (laughs) Wow. Thanks, guys. But I would say, no, you're crazy. That's insane. (laughs) That is insane. There's no way they're going to win the Super Bowl. Seriously, no way. We we suck. We choke in the red zone. We choke in the fourth quarter. We choke in the playoffs. Like, don't even get me started on coaching changes and pouty Phillip Rivers. Like, we do not stand a chance. <laughs> I mean, I love them, I, and I have to root for them, and I have to say I believe in them because they're my team, but I don't actually believe in them. Like, they're, <laughs> they're not going to win the Super Bowl this year, and maybe not even in my lifetime. Let's be real. So if you came up to me and made this promise, like, you, like the San Diego Chargers have clinched the, the wild card spot, they're in and they're going to win it, I promise. I would say, how can I be sure? And that would be the beginning of my questions, right? Like, <laughs> I, I know it's not exactly the same, but I can relate to Zechariah here when he's unwilling to fully trust the promise being offered, the promise that his story could have a different ending than the one he'd settled for. But here's how the angel responds to Zechariah's skepticism and unwillingness to recognize the promise of God coming to fulfillment. This is in um, verse 19. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Dude, I just came from God. That's how you're sure. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appropriate time. Whoa. 
Yikes. The people are waiting outside for Zechariah to come out after doing his priest thing to say a blessing over them and to send them home so that they know it's over, that the thing's done. But he comes out and he can't speak, and they're like, oh, something crazy must have happened in there. Um, And they're basically left hanging trying to figure out what this is because Zechariah is silent until the day that he names his son. Um, He's left with nine months of silence to sort of wrap his head around this fantastic promise that's been given to him. Um, And the day that he names his son, he scribbles on a tablet, the baby's name is John. And then immediately his mouth is opened, his tongue is loosed, and after nine months of silence, this is what comes out of his mouth. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the ten mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the path of peace. After being rendered silent because of his doubt, Zechariah is now the prophet who proclaims that the promise is coming, that the promise is being fulfilled. When he's able to speak, the first thing he does is praise God, and the second thing he does is bless his child. Um, The first part is full of allusions to Hebrew scriptures. It sounds like echoes of the Psalms and and the songs of the Hebrew people. And then the second part emphasizes that Jesus is the one that they're waiting for and that John's the one who prepares the way. So in part one, Zechariah's song begins with words of praise echoed throughout the psalm. Blessed be the Lord. Praise to the Lord. It continues by pointing backward to God's long-awaited promises, his covenant with his people, um, given to ancestors in this oath sworn to Abraham. Whatever else is happening that day at the temple, whatever is going to happen with that baby's life, it's in line with God's covenant promises. Zechariah's song overflows with the feeling that the Lord God of Israel is not a distant God who's content to just form the world, set it in motion, and leave it alone. This is the God who comes, the God who intervenes, the God who makes a way for us, the God who raises up a savior for us, who is not content to just let us go. Um, And he emphasizes that the promises given long ago are the same today, that God is active among God's people here and now, and we know for sure because God has been active among God's people in the past and from the very beginning. Then in part two of the song, in this like very tender and intimate moment, Zechariah prophesies over his newborn son um, that John will prepare the way for the Lord. Zechariah sings a message of hope to a world in danger of losing hope. He says that John's going forward to prepare the way because of the tender mercy of our God. The rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Zechariah recognizes that God's promise with John's birth is the hope of salvation for everyone. All of us are living in darkness. All of us are living in the shadow of death. And that this birth is the hope of salvation for everyone, insiders and outsiders, rich and poor, Jews and Gentiles. Everyone gets invited. 
Um, before long, the day will come when his own son will prepare the way for God's son. And being a prophet of the Most High is not going to be easy. The rulers of the age are going to um, imprison him and behead him. And it's, it's, not, it's not an easy role to be called into. But on this day, when John's barely a week old, um, Zechariah is filled with hope for new life as he holds his son in his arms. Um, as Zechariah waits for the unfolding of God's purposes in John, he looks ahead to the one who it's all for, the one whose name means God with us. And in the end, Zechariah's song is not simply a way to announce the birth of John the Baptist, but to again proclaim the promises of God are coming true, uh, promises of salvation and of peace. And this message of peace is crucial for Luke, for Luke's audience, and I think for us too. Luke's gospel uses the word peace more than any of the other three gospels combined. And um, it's this message that frames the beginning and the end and permeates throughout peace, peace, peace. It starts here that, um, that John is going to prepare the way for the Messiah to guide us into the path of peace and then ends with the risen Christ standing among his followers saying, peace be with you. And you know that he means it because he has conquered the grave. Um, By the time of Luke's gospel, the Romans have destroyed the Jerusalem temple, the same temple that Zechariah is going in and out of, right? Um, And news about Jesus has begun to spread to beyond Palestine, to pockets of the Roman Empire. Uh, And in that context, no less than in the decades earlier when Elizabeth and Mary are pregnant and preparing to give birth to these sons, the message of God's peace comes to a world more practiced in the art of war than of reconciliation. Um, God's peace stands in striking contrast to this peace of their current age called the Pax Romana, which means Roman peace, which is a peace enforced through victory and the threat of physical force and of violence. Um, Peace in the Hebrew context, shalom, means wholeness and healing and right relationship. Like, peace in this context is, is God's way of heaven breaking forth when the Messiah makes his appearance. Um, and in between, God's peace is the gift granted to those who receive the message of God's kingdom coming now, that God's kingdom is near and that we can be a part of it. So how does Zechariah get here to this place where he can buy in, right? How does he move from how can I be sure to God's promises are coming true and the kingdom is near? I think the key is in his time of silence and solitude. Because on the surface, this silence feels like a punishment, like you didn't believe, so I'm going to punish you for your sassy skepticism. How can I be sure? More importantly, though, I think this silence is an opportunity. Um, It's an opportunity to restore faith. It's an opportunity to reflect. It's an opportunity to draw close to God and to practice listening to God, um, because silence always involves the act of listening. Often I think we try to talk our way into understanding. Rather than sitting quietly with mystery and wonder, we try to fill in that space with words as we try to explain it all. We fill in the gaps with our theories and our comments and our explanations to try to make everything happen. Um, I think we often use words to manage and control other people or to manage their understanding of things. Let me clarify that. Let me fix that. Let me make sure you understand where I'm coming from. Um, And I think because we use words in these ways, uh, that silence is really linked to trust. If we are silent, who will take control? Um, God will take control, but only if we trust God. So I think Gabriel knows that Zechariah needs this silence. Sometimes it's okay to sit quietly with mystery and wonder rather than trying to explain it all away and to fill in all of those gaps. Zechariah needs the time in silence to trust that what God is promising is true. Um, And his silence is an opportunity to receive a new story, other than the one that he had convinced himself was his only ending. 
Apparently it worked because listen to the song that he sings after he has this time of silence. But here's the thing, I think he needed the time in silence in order to sing it with conviction, um, in order to truly worship fully. His silence is an invitation to shut up and watch and listen as God draws us into a new story until we, like Zechariah, can sing this song with conviction. Perhaps this is the gift of silence, that it shuts off our brains long enough to receive a new story, um, to worship fully. The message of hope in Zechariah's song of God's faithfulness, God's salvation, and God's peace um, can only, I think, be truly heard since, since there's been silence before. Like, the silence is key that, that this echoes and, and resounds in the narrative. I think this is best communicated by one of my favorite poets, T.S. Eliot. I think in some ways the great poets can sort of function as prophets to their generation. And Eliot writes this to his generation. Where shall the word be found? Where will the word resound? Not here. There is not enough silence. And I think sometimes there's too much noise in our lives, not enough silence for us to hear the promises that God is whispering to us. So I've been prepping for this for a while, and as I've been prepping for this weekend and living in this text, Zechariah's story has offered me an opportunity to live in silence for a bit. Um, and I've been practicing this in different ways, but one of them is that I've like turned off the radio in my car, so when I'm driving places, I just have time to be quiet. I've also made the practice of turning off Christmas music specifically, and I know that sounds weird, especially since I admitted to you all how much I love Advent. Let me explain. I've turned off Christmas music and instead been listening to Advent music, right? So like the Future Forestry EPs we've selected, um, a couple others that really focus on um, Advent hymns and carols that focus on Christ right? Uh, The first two weeks of Advent, hope and prepare, are really solemn and contemplative. And week three, we have a significant shift and move into joy and rejoicing. Uh, So next week, I'll start listening to all that like merry and bright Christmas stuff. But right now, I'm sticking with the more kind of serious contemplative stuff. Sufjan Stevens is my jam. But... But the, here's, here's the thing, that my response has been that this like upbeat, flashy Christmas music that's being played on the radio is really jarring to me. I'm not, like, I'm not ready. I like, can't listen to it. It, it. it puts me off a little bit. Um, and and I, like, I, I don't want to say that I don't like Christmas music. I love it. I grew up with Nat King Cole and Amy Grant, and I can't wait to listen to them. But here's the thing. I can wait and I need to wait for, to, to truly mean it. I'm not ready for that merry and bright stuff yet. Um, one of the greatest peacemakers of our time, Nelson Mandela, died earlier this week. And like, what does that mean for our world? What does that mean for this coming generation? Um, I'm not ready to jump into joyful celebration just yet. I need this time in waiting. Um, I mean, Nelson Mandela's words earlier this week, I was thinking a lot about this, and he reminded me of uh, the power of silence. In a speech he gave in 2000, he said, it is never my custom to use words lightly. If 27 years in prison have done anything to us, it was to use the silence of solitude to make us understand how precious words are and how real speech is and its impact on the way people live and die. The writer of Ecclesiastes writes that there's a time to be silent and a time to speak. I think it's important to remember that silence isn't forever, and we don't engage in silence because words are bad. We engage in silence because they, it reminds us um, of the power of our words and of God's words. It's a discipline that teaches us something. So this week, 
I'd like to invite you into a, a period of silence, in, to engage in this discipline of silence, whatever that looks like for you. It could be turning off the music when you're driving, or it could be um, silencing the TV and spending that like half hour just in sort of quiet reflection. Or one of the practices that I do sometimes when I, when I want to practice silence is um, taking a couple hours on Sunday, like the time before I'd come to church, and I just spend it in silence, and then make sure that the first things that I say are songs of praise. So breaking my silence with worship to God. Well, I mean, you don't have to do that, but whatever it looks like for you, I'd love for you to engage in this period um, of waiting and anticipation and to engage in this discipline of silence so that when the time comes to sing songs and uh, hear words of celebration and rejoicing, that you can mean it and mean it from the depths of your soul. Um, So as we close, I'd like to invite the band back up. And as they lead us in worship, I'd also like us to participate in the in the sacrament of communion. This is the reminder that God has come to us, that God has fulfilled his promises, uh, that the kingdom of God is near. This is our physical reminder that we can participate in the kingdom of God here and now. Um, God has come to us and redeemed us, and God's promise has been born in our lives. So as a reminder this week that we're going to practice the discipline of silence and of quieting our lives to receive the promise of God, we're going to practice it together now. Um, So would you please join me in a moment of silent prayer as we quiet our lives? God, during this moment of worship, we want to sit with the wonder and mystery of your promise of peace and wholeness. We thank you that Christ has come and that your kingdom of peace is near. May we believe it's true and believe it's true for each of us specifically. Teach us to quiet our lives so we may hear the whispers of your promise. Help us believe our eyes when we begin to see these promises being fulfilled so that we may worship you fully. God of timeless grace, we ask that you fill us with joyful expectation. Make us ready for the message that prepares the way so that we may eagerly await the kingdom of your Son, Jesus Christ, who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.